good morning, and welcome to Media Insultant for the week of February 8th. Each week we come to you and we offer our opinions on all kinds of things in media, radio, TV, digital, whatever. I'm Jackson Weaver. This, my co-host, is Keith Samuels. Keith, I got an idea. Before we jump into it, let's start with something other than Ed Stoltz this week. Oh, I know. Okay. I know. I'm the all for disappointment that. is great. So, we'll get to him. I promise we'll get to him. But, uh, you, you know, first, something of a rarity in media. It's a station. It's a brand. It's had a dominant position for 50 years. K-I-S-W. For 50 years, they have been known as the Rock of Seattle. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing history. And I guess my question to you is they've had multiple owners. Nobody screwed them up. Always a top-rated station. Great demos. Great names. You know, we can go through the list of names if you've got time. But my point to you is how does one station maintain dominance with one format for 50 years? Well, good question. Oh, ooh, I'm shaking it. It's uh, Seattle's best rock. I think the reason they've been dominant for so many years is that they've had one of the greatest logos in all of uh, all of radio. And it was designed by my good friend, Jim Carrey, who's still doing logo design for um, at an agency, uh, Double Knot Creative up there on Lake Union. And, uh, and, and as an in-house graphic designer, he really made that brand pop and come alive. And how many stations had an in-house graphic designer slash marketing guy in 1983? Uh, but they had Jim and he did a great job. That's one thing. They've always had a consistent look. You always knew it was KISW. But the other thing I think is, is that they, they found a position early on. And what was this, the, the uh, mid-70s under K. Smith, you know, that, that they just staked out this position in the marketplace. And even when K. Smith sold it to... Um, uh, Nationwide. No, there was somebody else between case. There was, was nationwide, but then they right. sold to nationwide, you know, uh, and, and nationwide was smart enough to keep Bo Phillips as PD. And then he became the GM uh, and they just, they just kept it, kept it going, but no one came after him. It wasn't like the country stations where there was always two or the AC stations or, you know, everybody was going after KMPS. Everybody was going after Cube. Everybody was going after Classy. Nobody really went at, and KZOK was already classic rock in the late 70s, early 80s. So there was, you know, rock, AOR on KSW, classic rock on, on KZOK. And guess what? It's still the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and both so, stations, it's worth mentioning, both KZOK and KSW have had that consistency of format for a long period of time. And that maybe more than anything has cemented them into the into the market. And they they basically have a different generation listening today than they did 50 years ago. Well, obviously they have to because we've all gotten so much older. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> but I think there are other, two other reasons. One is is that the, you know the corporate commitment to that consistent format and that they just kept it really strong. And clearly, everybody's strategic studies of Seattle showed KISW was not a station to go at. You know, don't think you can go at them. I think uh, I think in that core period of time of the of the late seventies all the way into the nineties, well into the right around ninety or so, um, you know they had consistent leadership as well. And so you had you know you had Steve West as the general manager, you had uh, you great on air. You had Bo Phillips as PD. You had great on air staffs with Crow and West and Robin and Maynard, and they were just epically good. And then you added in you know guys like Bob Rivers and other guys. I mean it was just a great personality-driven rock station. And, and, and then they had Stern later on, and, and they just kept it going. And so I think that was really, really you know, crucial. What's interesting is, is that Steve West and his guys all went over and started, after Nationwide bought, the, bought them, they went over and started KXRX. And 
remember the big, you know, 96.5 and the, the X logo and everybody was an X, it was the X thing. And Jim Carrey did that logo as well. And they still couldn't beat KISW. And where is, where is KXRX today? What's 96.5? I have no idea. Uh, it is, um, I'm trying to recall the calls, but it uh, basically is Bob. Okay, you know? well, there you go. You so, know, asking, uh, you know, we'll you play know, whatever just, you want. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just a great station. It's, it's uh, I hope they pay respects to the people who really, really kept it alive, grew it to a beast that it is. And these are the guys as much on the air as off. And um, kudos to them. I would have loved to have had that celebration for KMPS. But here's the other thing is that they they didn't get sold to an owner that had another station in the format. So, you know, when 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 Hubbard bought the stations from, uh, oh gosh, who, who, they bought Classy from, um, um, who owned What's Classy? Sandusky. And Sandusky. Sandusky? You know, they could jockey some formats around, you know, when, when, you know, everybody kind of buys, you know, when, 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 when uh, EZ, then ARS, then CBS bought K- KRPM, the first thing they did, because they owned KMPS already, was kill KRPM. And then, uh, you know, when, when, when Intercom gets a hold of KMPS, you know, what do they do? They, they crush KMPS and they go with the wolf. So that's never happened to KISW. They haven't had an owner that had to make a choice between two formats. And usually they, they go with the one they brought, not the one they bought. And in this case, KISW's kind of skated free. Uh, it's, a, it's almost like a, a heaven sent that they've not been forced to change the format of that station. Glad they haven't. Congratulations on 50 years, KISW. Seattle's best rock. Well, I think the other thing that uh, is worth uh, congratulating on that is that Intercom hasn't screwed it up. You know, some of these large groups have a tendency to pick up these legendary stations and they convert them pretty well, uh, pretty quickly into also rands. And Intercom hasn't done that. And that's an expensive station to run. They got a lot of talent on that station. It costs them a lot of money to keep it going. And they do a, they've stuck with it. So I got to hand it to them for that. And that's Jack Hutchison? Uh, Jack is still running those. Yes. After yep. Jack. Jack does a good job. No okay, the Ed Stoltz story, we got to get to it because let's not keep anybody waiting. We know <laughs> this is what everybody wants. Just for anybody who isn't familiar, Ed owns three FM stations, one in San Francisco, another in Palm Springs, and a final one in Las Vegas. And he's failed to pay millions of dollars worth of music rights and was forced into bankruptcy, involuntary bankruptcy, about three years ago. Now he's trying to drag out the reorganization with all kinds of stalling techniques, some of them rather clever, actually. <laughs> he's disregarded all of the court orders, now has been kept, kept, excuse me, now has been found to be in contempt. The receiver, Larry Patrick, just simply had enough. He asked that he be jailed, and the court agreed and issued an order for his arrest. So, Keith, pick it up from here. What's the latest? There was another shifting thing over the last week. What did he say? Well, I guess he, he came back to court. He no longer, they don't know who his lawyer is. His lawyer has quit. So he's, I guess, representing himself in court. And he showed up and said and complained that, and I think fought the, uh, the warrant uh, fairly, I guess, successfully in saying that, that Larry Patrick is undervaluing the stations, that it's not fair if he's going to sell these stations. He's undervaluing them. Ed could sell them for a lot more than Larry Patrick is selling them for. Uh, sale price somewhere in excess of just over $6 million. Ed says they're worth at least 15 maybe more. Uh, good luck with that. And uh, and so, you know, I think there's a big problem here. It's not my fault. It's just that you're taking the stations from me and you're selling them on the cheap. Well, you know, a standalone FM in Palm Springs, that's $1.50. 
standalone FM in Las Vegas, that's maybe 250. And then, um, you know, a lousy signal in San Francisco on a standalone, you know, look, you're pretty, by the way, it's not just millions of dollars that he owns, it owes in music rights. He owns millions of dollars in, in tower rental fees. He hasn't paid tower rental fees in like 25 years. He hasn't paid, he hasn't paid the music guys since the eighties. I mean, this guy has been out of bounds for, for decades. Okay. And, how how on earth I ask? How do you maintain a license if you if you're that bad? I don't know, but he's been able to do it, and now he and you know he bought some of these stations for a lot of money. He's going to lose his shirt on on the sale because he doesn't get any of the revenue from the sale. Um, it's just been an odd odd existence that this guy's had in this in in this business. And frankly, you know, if 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 if, if it all ends, we won't have much to talk about. We'll, we'll find something. Maybe not quite as entertaining. I think the question for me is, do you think the court will decide that this last minute appeal is way too late? I mean, he keeps coming up with stuff that he didn't that he could have brought up three years ago. Three years ago, he could have said, OK, look, my stations are worth this much. I'll sell them. And clearly he had Bob Malman appraise them and he thought he would sell them. And my hunch is he did a little bit of shopping, don't you think? Of you course, a San Francisco signal and a Las Vegas signal a couple of years ago, you would have shopped them. Mm-hmm. And now he comes in and goes, oh, wait a minute, they're worth much more than this. Well, you know, it's a little bit late. I can't imagine how crazy Larry Patrick must be going at this point. Well, it, not only is it late uh, in that in the process of liquidating and, you know, selling these stations to get money, but isn't it a little late when it comes to the creditors, because this is really driven, this isn't driven by Larry Patrick. This is driven by creditors who, who have been in court now for many, many years trying to get this money from Ed until finally the judge said, yes, we're going to, we'll hire a, 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 a caretaker for these stations. That would be Larry, you know, and, and we'll let, we'll, and he'll, he'll run them and, uh, and we'll sell them and we'll get the money because this is a creditor case. This is about, this is not about stealing his stations. This is about, he owes people a lot of money and they're so done with waiting to get paid and getting jerked around for decades. In some cases, 40 years or 38 years. I mean, it's just crazy making. So I'm sure the judge is going, uh, whatever, dude, you know, we're selling the stations and we're, we're, you know, but the problem is, is that, is that Ed won't even run the uh, uh, required FCC announcements on the air. He won't do any of the print uh, requirements where you have to advertise, you know, promote that you're selling the stations and, you know, all those things that, that the FCC requires. He's not doing any of that. And he won't let his one full-time employee, he has one full-time employee and he won't let this guy do it. Um, he won't even give Larry the keys. He won't give Larry the, the uh, passwords to get onto the FCC websites. I mean, this guy is bad to the bone. And, uh, <laughs> And but he'll still have an AM in Las Vegas when he's done. So, you know, knock yourself out, Ed. But please. well, and if I'm not mistaken, he will get anything over the receiver amounts that they pay off. So if they have about three and a half million and he gets six million or Larry gets six million out of it, then he'll uh, he'll get whatever the difference is there. But that's mighty short of I know one signal he paid 15 million for mm-hmm. and another one he paid. Uh, he says he put three million into Palm Springs. So. He has not he has not run this well. Quite a story. Let's uh, let's see what happens in the next week. We'll we'll be back with the next exciting episode just as soon as we hear what's going on. So, 
Doug Harville, who's the uh, Cumulus San Francisco GM for two years in San Francisco. But prior to that, he was with CBS in the market Mm -hmm. between San Francisco and Sacramento for a total of 21 years. So this is a guy who has clearly deep relationships, deep experience in the market. He comes to work for Cumulus for two years, and now he's leaving. I don't know if it's formally a retirement. I can't speak to that. But my question is, what does it say about the market for GMs? I mean, the good guys are leaving. Yes, and that's very sad, and and uh, that's why I brought this up in our in our uh, prep. You know, Doug is a very solid manager. Uh, he comes from the programming side, and 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 he's been in the business for over forty five years. I mean, this is a big. This has been a long career, and you're right. That that latter half has been with CBS in Northern California, and he ran one of the great news talk stations uh, of all time, and that's KCBS in San Francisco, you know, just he really knows what he's doing. He's one of these he's one of these really good solid managers and managing a news station is a heck of a lot different than managing a semi-automated soft AC station, you know, where it's just uh, just play what the consultant tells you to play and uh, and keep the two on-air personalities that you have happy and you're good to go. That was not that was not Doug. He knew how to run a a, a big operation and th- those guys are few and far between anymore. I don't know why, you know, other than the fact that he, you know, he's had a lot of experience, you know, he worked at, he worked at easy communications back in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the eighties, you know, when I was working for easy in Seattle, you know, Doug, Doug's been around a long time and I have to suspect that it's kind of like, you know what, by the way, Doug was a GM for uh, decades before Milner came on board at Cumulus as a, as a former short-time GM in Sacramento, mostly a sales manager in San Francisco. They competed against each other. Now he's working for a guy that was a sales schlep for a couple of days, you know, for, and Doug was running KCBS and crushing it. And, and that, and, you know, probably had something to do with the management of that cluster too. So, you know, it's kind of like, really, dude, you know, it's all, it's your show. I get it. I'm done. Thanks for coming. Well, you know, and I was talking to this uh, this guy who uh, started Vipology, which is a website uh, for radio stations, a guy by the name of Michael Kay, a couple of uh, days ago, and, you know, made some comment about, you know, the remote management that I do for radio stations. And he said, it's a great idea. And he said, the business has, has pushed all the good people out. There, there's, there, there aren't very many good people, and we don't have a farm system. And so we talked about that for a minute. And, you know, where is there a farm system today? How do you develop a farm system today when you're not getting anybody coming out of college or high school with any interest at all into getting into radio? Podcasting maybe a little bit, but podcasting is still hobby for the most part. (laughs) We're doing a hobby, I guess. (laughs) But the point is, is how do we bring some more people into the business so we can actually have somebody to graduate into these positions? Because 10 years from now, there's just going to be no depth. There's going to be no talent in the business. Uh, stop, stop firing the people who are great leaders who know how, to man- know how to identify and manage talent. You know, most of it's being left up to regional managers and consultants. And not just on the music side and the programming side, but on the sales side. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, what, what the heck do I need Keith and Jackson? I've got the consultant telling me how to do this. They'll just go in and tell people what to do you know, and do it, do it through, you know, weekly webinars or whatever, and follow the playbook that we've developed for everybody, follow the playbook. And, uh, and, and, you know, you're good to go. So they basically, 
grown tired of having the stress of trying to find really good people in all of these markets, in all of these stations and grow them and have them be, you know, develop into good leaders or not, you know, they just don't want to take the risk. So they've got corporate programming guys, they've got corporate sales guys, and they've got corporate management guys or gals. And so that's all they need. And everybody else is just, just do the, just follow the playbook. What did I tell you to do? How many calls did I tell you to make? How did I tell you to package it? Just go do it. Or I will find somebody else who can. Now it gets worse because now they don't even want those people in those markets. So if you're in Tuscaloosa, tough shit, you're out of a job. We're running it out of Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, now we're going to see this regionalization of operations where it's going to get even worse, Jackson. So when you talk about developing talent and bringing people into the business, you know, I don't know that there's anybody committed to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a problem. I, I saw a column the other day in one of the trade mags and, and uh, this uh, writer was saying, you know, we need to bring more talent in. Great. He doesn't propose any ideas on how to do it, has no concept of how we're going to get people back into the business. So, you know, it's a it's certainly something we've talked about before, something we'll talk about probably in the in the weeks to come. Okay, I got a quick uh, shift gears here to TV. That's the one with pictures, right? In another case of uh, the big gobble up the big and everybody gets bigger, gray is uh, great television which has, I think, 93 markets now, has purchased Quincy Group of television stations, 24 uh, stations from, uh, from Quincy, Illinois, to somewhere in Texas. They're going to spin a batch of them. Well, not a batch, six of them. And most of those, Quincy's mostly a Midwestern cluster, markets like Rockford and Peoria and Binghamton, New York, that kind of thing. They're even in Quincy, Illinois. I guess that would be, that would make some sense. My question to you is, you know, you look at this and you look at the fact that television, like radio, used to be a series of, of independent operators. And today, man, it just it's turning into just huge groups. You look at the station list for Gray, 93 markets, and they probably have two to three stations in each of those markets. You got Gray, you got Sinclair, and, and um, uh, Byron Allen's buying up a batch with his Allen, I think calls it Allen Media. So my question to you, and I appreciate your point of view, does is this good or is this natural or is this detrimental to the development of television? Not sure if it's good. It seems to be natural. And the development of television like this is that they're 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 realizing that they need to consolidate to survive. You know, and it's and it may be because television stations are expensive to run. And if you have scale, you know, you can find those ways to minimize expenses and, you know, like Sinclair with their morning news show uh, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, those kinds of things will, will be more prevalent, I think, because, you know, running a news station, running a news department in Quincy, Illinois is probably a little bit pricey. You know, why can't we do, uh, you know, kind of a bulk thing? So I think, yes, but I think from an operational standpoint, consolidating makes a lot of sense for television and they're getting attacked from all fronts, just like radio has been. I think the other part of it, uh, is that, you know, that must be what the market's demanding or what they're up against from a, from a sales standpoint when they're going after national dollars. And I don't, I'm not talking about network dollars, um, but I'm talking about national. When they're going in and pitching national buys, uh, they're getting beat by uh, the people, the, you know, the Tegnas, the, uh, the Apollo slash Cox, you know, the now gray, bigger, 
you know, oh, these guys are, are, are really kind of gobbling up budgets because they have that kind of scale. And it makes it easier for the buyers to buy because they don't want to have to buy 100 markets individually. They want to buy, make five buys with five groups. See you later. Buy and done. Kind of like radio. You know, one of the other things that if you, if you dig a little deeper, I, I was looking at Gray's financials. Their retrans revenue is not as high as some, but over the last three years, it's gone from 31 to 37% of their revenue. And the problem with retrans is you, first of all, you turn most of it over to the network. And second of all, you don't have any control over the cord cutters. And we keep seeing constantly where we're, we're getting into these markets where the MVPDs, the cable systems have, are in negotiation constantly with television stations. And it's because the TV stations want a lot more money. And the cable systems are saying, why when I've got, you know, I think Comcast lost 3 million subscribers last quarter. I mean, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And yet the TV stations want more. And then local revenue on Gray has gone from 51% of, the, of their total revenue pie to 43%. And just in a couple of years, and that's non-political. So they're becoming more reliant on retrans, less reliant on local revenue. This becomes a, a problem pretty quickly, doesn't it? I think that's why they consolidate, because if I got to grab more retrans money, I've got to grab you know, more eyeballs so I can get that, so that, because I'm relying more on national buys now. I'm relying more on that. So that makes sense. If I have the scale, if I have the enough markets, if I if I can get this covered enough, I'll be okay. You know, for a while. So now, you know, then we see what happens. Um, well, and, and and that's a that's a really good observation. I think the the struggle that they are having with with retrans versus local revenue is that you know at some point this is going to gridlock, and you know it looks like a really good deal right now. But as you and I both know, local television ratings, local news, local game shows, anything, anything on a local television station gets smaller and smaller ratings. And the networks, I mean, the network ratings, number one primetime network rating is going to be a 0.5, maybe a 0.8 in demo. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we all remember the days when, you know, a primetime show would get a 22, 25, 26 rating, maybe even a 30. Look at MASH and those kind of shows. It's a real interesting dilemma. And you kind of feel like in some ways, the television groups are buying these stations. And at some point, they're going to be like the roadrunner who runs off the cliff, chasing the coyote. And the coyote runs off the cliff and looks down and goes, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. There's the thought bubble. Oops, you know. Oops. Uh, yeah. It's a wild time. What do we do? Consolidate. Let's buy up as much as we can get so we can still get a seat at the poker table and get, get some chips off those national buys. Get some network comp. Get some retrans comp. Uh, whatever, wherever I can get the revenue, I'll do it. And, and you know, we'll see where it goes. But they've got it's kind of like buying themselves some time. You know, see whether OTT crushes them, whether it's, you know, cord cutters and people, you know, watching via, via the internet on Hulu and whatever else. And, you know, on the same token, the networks are all aligned in their own streaming services. So they're driving audience away to their own content. So as a local station owner, what are you doing for me? What's, what's my deal? You know, if you watch the Super Bowl yesterday, 
most of the there was more ads for Paramount Plus than anything else. Now they were fun ads; they were really kind of cute and clever. And then you get to the end, and Patrick Stewart's on the top of Paramount Mountain. But there's the streaming service. Isn't Paramount Viacom CBS? Yeah, I think. And so you know, there's all the CBS stuff, you know. And there's Tom Selleck. I love Tom Selleck. There he is. There's my old buddy Tom. Oh, I can go streaming. That that takes an audience away from my CBS affiliation station. If I'm Cairo in Seattle, well, there's there's you know another competitor, and it's my own supplier. My own supplier, and and of course, and I don't mean to speak for the networks, but I'm certain they look at the TV stations and go, "So, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? You're going to yeah. quit other, other than their O and O's, other than their own O and O's, yeah. And yeah. that's a very small group." Uh, and those are very big markets and those are news driven and you're typically well managed, but everything else. Yeah, exactly. All right. It's about time we got a jingle out. Uh, and my jingle out for this week is there are thousands and thousands of audio streams out there on all kinds of platforms. Really too many to and for anybody to curate, but I'd like to recommend two. Okay. Uh, one is on iHeartRadio. And it's really a fun, bright cross between CHR and 90s hits. It's called Yummy Radio, which I I love the branding, a yummy radio. They even have a a jingle package around it. So it's just really fun. And the other is uh, from Europe, and it's a whole series of stations called Energy. They call them NRJ, but Energy. And my favorite is uh, Energy Deep House. It's available on TuneIn. And, you know, it's a real hot mix of uh, techno dance music. You know, they have some different blends. They have uh, an energy, ener- uh, energy, energy. They have an energy dance, energy, dark house, that kind of thing. It's great to work with, you know, just keeps everything up in the office. No commercials yet. As near as I can tell, uh, just about as much fun as you can listen to either one of those, either Yummy Radio or Energy. So that's my jingle out for today. Keith? Well, my recommendations. I'm I'm still stuck in the uh, in uh, in in the '80s country, so you know I'm I got I got my serious locked on uh, prime country, and then uh, you know it's it's tough to beat the bridge. The bridge is ripping off almost exactly the uh, the playlist from my old radio station uh, where I first sales job at KNX FM, the Mellow Sound, <laughs> Los Angeles. So there you go. And then I like Spa you know, on Sirius. So that's good. But I'm jingling out on, uh, on, 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 you got to say farewell to Ryan Seacrest. He's, he's announced over the weekend that he's no longer going to be the host of E networks, red carpet shows. You know, my, my, one of my claims to fame is that, is that Ryan Seacrest was my next door neighbor for a few years. Uh, his first house in LA was right next door. You know, he'd fire up that DB9 at about 4.30 in the morning to get over and do the KISS morning show. Uh, and it was like an alarm clock. He just knew, oh, it's 4.30, Ryan's off to work. Wah, wah, wah. And then he'd drive over the manhole cover and he'd you know, be quiet for a while. I'd get, and I'd put it on snooze. But, uh, but God bless Ryan. He was a great neighbor, a lovely guy. You know, we miss him. It, the neighborhood hasn't been the same since. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he says the same thing about you. Let's move back to the Samuels residence. <laughs> All right, my friend, uh, another good show. Thank you so much for showing up and uh, doing this with me. Don't forget podcasting. Anybody that uh, has gotten this far, uh, the show shows up on podcast platforms every week. 
We uh, publish a new one every Tuesday. So uh, go and subscribe. Uh, as I said, we don't care if you listen after that, but if you subscribe, you help us. We're on our way to the middle of mid charts. We're going to be mid chart here in the next couple of weeks, Keith. All right. You go have a good week, buddy. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Jackson. Thanks again. Have a good one.